Hey everyone, and welcome to Have Disability, Will Travel, a podcast from the Accessible Travel Forum. This podcast takes us around the world so we can talk to people in the accessible travel industry, influencers, nonprofits, travel companies, and people like you and me who don't let our disabilities get in the way of a great vacation. My name is Josh, and I'm glad you're along for the ride. So grab your passports and let's get going. In this episode, we talk with Martin Sibley. If you are at all involved in the accessible travel community, you likely already know Martin personally or by name. We discuss Martin's work, including being co-founder of Disability Horizons and Accommable, as well as his book, Everything is Possible. Without further ado, here's Martin. Hi, Martin. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Josh. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's, I'm glad to have you. You're such a big name in the accessible travel community, so it's uh, very exciting to have you here. I'm a bit nervous, actually. Uh, we'll go slow. We'll go slow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, first of all, um, where is home for you, Martin? You're from the so, UK, right? Home is uh, England, and specifically uh, a town near to Cambridge, so the, the old university town of Cambridge. Okay. So does that have some uh, unique uh, accessibility issues, being such an old town? Yeah, there, there are definitely some challenges, but I mean to be fair, they've they have looked after it quite well. They, you know, they has got better and better. And in fact, on Thursday, I'm going to be um, working with the local council on showcasing the the good accessible places that are now available. So it, it's on the up accessibility wise. Oh, that's great! Good to hear. Okay, so now since this is a podcast about accessible travel. Uh, you have to give your creds and uh, tell us exactly why you know about accessible travel. So can you tell us a little bit about your disability? Yeah, sure. So my disability is spinal muscular atrophy, which whenever I deliver training and say, has anyone heard of SMA? And very few people have. And then when I say, has anyone heard of muscular dystrophy? Everyone has. And so it's kind of under the family, the umbrella of muscular dystrophy. Um, so that basically means that, yeah, I'm, I'm in a wheelchair. Um, I, I wouldn't say 24-7 because um, you know, contrary to popular belief of the general public, as you know, Josh, we, we do get out of our wheelchairs from time to time and sleep in a normal bed. <laughs> but I'm, I'm in the wheelchair all day long and have full-time care support and all of that kind of world. Um, so, yeah, I guess it doesn't affect my kind of health that much or my energy that much. I have to be a bit more careful in the winter, um, which is one of the reasons I love traveling to, to get away from the, the gloomy, cold English winter <laughs> at times. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's probably the best way of describing my disability anyway. Okay, and so since a young age then, you've uh, been using a wheelchair? Yeah, well, it's, it's genetic, so I've had the disability since day one, and then um, I've never walked, and I had the first wheelchair when I was like three and I'm now 35, so I've been driving for 32 years now. <laughs> and how many accidents have you had? Too many. <laughs> Too many. Okay. All right, so um, now moving on to the travel bit, um, you can have a little bit of a chance to brag here. And uh, maybe you can tell us, um, well, you've probably been to too many places to list, but some of the best places you've visited around the world? 
Yep. So the the big kind of challenge trip I did independently. So I mean, as a child, my mum and dad, you know, they did a lot of the organising and my care and everything. And we did the sort of typical European holidays and a couple of other trips. Like we went to Disney World in America a couple of times. Um, but my first independent trip was when I was at uni. I was about 22 years old and it was to Australia. So I did all of the organising with the, you know, having two carers that were paid to, to come and do all my care support, all of the accessible rooms and all the other bits I'm sure we'll come on to talk about later. Um, so Australia was one of my favourites. Um, I've been back to the States a couple of times to New York and uh, we did a road trip from San Francisco to Las Vegas down to Los Angeles. That was epic. Um, and then I've stopped off at Singapore, been to Egypt and then loads of places all over Europe many, many times. Okay, wow. So you're quite the traveler. I love travel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, um, when you're not traveling, you're quite busy. Uh, I was looking at your uh, LinkedIn profile, and you have quite a bit on there. And uh, <laughs> so I'm probably going to get the order of things uh, quite wrong, so you can correct me along the way. Uh, but sure. just want to talk about some of uh, your, uh, well, your regular work activities, I'm sure, which is the, your main uh, time spender. But um, so you work for Scope, is that right? Can you explain to what people Scope is um, for outside the UK? Yeah, so um, that I worked for Scope 2006 to 2011. So that was my first job out of university. At uni, I studied uh, economics and then a master's in marketing. And then I was kind of looking at jobs in London, kind of finance stuff and was getting knocked back quite a lot and I'll never know whether my disability was like a factor in that or not who knows mm. but um, in the end Scope had a job that was advertised in my hometown and they're basically an NGO um, like a charity right. for disabled people so in the end it was a kind of safe step for me to get a job that was you know like bottom of the ladder lower rung ladder um, just to get started um, and then I got a lot of learning and development through them. I ended up living and working for them in London. Um, so it was really good kind of career development and getting more confidence about myself and my health and work-life balance and all those kind of things. So, yeah, it was a really good start to my career. Okay. Now, and then you've got two jobs that you um, have uh, made a lot uh, made along with um, Shrin, is that right? Sorry, Shrin or Shrin? Yeah, Shrin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And those are Accommable and uh, Disability Horizons. Can you first tell us a little bit about Accommable? We'll probably get into them a bit later in the America story, but just a brief yeah. overview. Yeah, um, so well, Accommable was during uh, mine and Shrin's travels. Um, you know this, Josh, as well. You come up against the difficulty of finding accessible accommodation. Mm -hmm. So we decided to basically vet every accommodation that was on our website and we kind of called it the airbnb for disabled people just because it was all you know mm -hmm. the kind of tech startup and that everyone was doing like this for uber and you know yeah. uber for this <laughs> and all that kind of stuff um and then so over time yeah we got some grant funding we got some investment we built up you know quite a large number of properties worldwide and also a community of 
disabled travellers. And then it was pretty much a year ago, actually, um, we managed to sell it to Airbnb. So the kind of uh, accidental visualisation became a reality. (laughs) I'll have to put names like that on uh, my stuff as well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. And then um, the other one is uh, Disability Horizons. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so that that all began before a comma ball. Um, and with that, it was basically, I started blogging about 2009. And then um, I was really my story of, you know, what I got up to as an individual with a disability, not just about travel, but all sorts of uh, about life really with a disability. And then um, we realized that a lot of other people wanted somewhere to have a voice, but they maybe didn't want their own website or to become a blogger, inverted commas. Right. So, yeah, we decided that if we could create essentially a magazine, it would be a platform to give the disabled community a voice. But it's very much about lifestyle as well. We were very clear that it's not going to be all about campaigning or mm-hmm. so political. And, you know, that has to come into it because it's part of our life as disabled people. Mm-hmm. But we, we didn't want to go down too much the kind of angry activist route but more the sort of can-do lifestyle approach okay so it's got a bit of everything on there then yeah yeah i guess the broad themes are sex and relationships employment travel leisure technology so they're the kind of more key areas right okay so yeah very full-fledged magazine yeah Um, (laughs) now you also have your own personal site as well and you also work for open inclusion is that correct yeah, so the way I'd best describe really is that um, Horizons is more like a, a passion project that we are still looking at building up more and more with new projects and that it would have more and more funding. So we'd be able, as because as a team of us, that we would give more of our time to it. But up to now, it, it's not so much of like a commercial venture or a job. It You know, it's something we do because we really love it. Um, and then, so I'm like a consultant, um, giving talks and doing social media and disability awareness training and that kind of stuff. Um, and one of my clients is open inclusion and for them, so that they are a user insight kind of research consultancy, but specifically for disabled people. So they've got a big consumer panel. And then they can help brands with surveys or focus groups and things like that. And so, yeah, part of my paid work is supporting them with their mission. Right. Okay. Well, so last question there in that work line is, is how do you spend your, split your time between all of these different projects? Is it just a lot of coffee or is it (laughs) clones hidden away in your closet there? (laughs) Well, with Horizons, as I say, we have a team. So there's like four of us that, um, we have a, a content editor, so she Liz is very much you know owning all of the content and managing the writers. And we have Chris, who's our partnerships manager, so he's more building up the kind of um, advertising and sponsorship things that we've been doing more recently. Um, and then I'm sort of just trying to look at the strategy and you know keep the, all the different people I get introduced to, sort of bringing them into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I basically, I look to do sort of Monday to Friday, um, eight hours a day. And then, you know, whatever doesn't get done, it just rolls into the next week, basically. Sounds good. Okay. Um, well, 
next thing I want to talk to you about is that you wrote a book, and the book title is Everything is Possible When You Believe. Uh, yeah. And um, well, it's quite a decision to decide to write a book. And so I just wondered, you know, what made you think, oh, I want to write a book right now at this point in my life. Um, and uh, what was your goal for the book? Yeah, I think being a blogger and writing on my blogs, it was a natural progression that, that you know, another step would be to, to put together a book. Um, I considered putting sort of the most popular blog posts or well, as in sort of the ones with the most hits mm-hmm. or my popular ones, as in my preferred ones that I just felt were good, you know, and, and put it into like a compendium. But it, when I was looking through, it just would have been a bit too sort of jolted and not wouldn't have flown properly, you know, it sort of flowed through properly. Um, so, yeah, in the end, I decided that, you know, if I was going to do a book, I should do it properly. Um, and because it was going to take quite a while and there were going to be costs as well with sort of design and editing and things like that, um, I actually crowdfunded on Kickstarter as well. Oh, so that was oh. a way of trying to kind of offset the the time that it was going to take and the costs that were going to be involved. So right. um, I can't recommend using the sort of Kickstarter type crowdfunding campaign for people that are looking to do that sort of stuff. Um, in terms of goals, it, it really is a travel memoir. Um, the, the first, as you know, I know you've you've read it, Josh, so I'm interested to hear what you think in a moment. But um, yeah, the, the first chapter is autobiographical to give people that insight into who I am and my my past and what brought me here. But then the rest of the chapters really are about my my travels. So I still feel I've got a couple more books in me on other topics, maybe. But yeah, it was just like I love travel and I wanted to put all of those experiences in one place. And I and I suppose inspire disabled people of what is possible and also show non-disabled people that as disabled people we can do really cool stuff as well. Okay. Um, well, since you're the creative one and I'm not very creative, I'm going to actually follow uh, the chapter listings for what we're going to talk about next. So, um, <laughs> so people can get an idea of uh, some of the, you know, the content that's coming up um, in the book. Um, first of all, so again, you talked about the bio bit. Um, so your early experiences. Um, and uh, you had one with a very scary mouse, I remember. Can you tell us a bit about that? <laughs> well, as I said earlier, we went to Disney a couple of times. One when I was about three, I think, or four. And then another time when I was like 16. Um, so when it was the first time, not the second time. Right, right. Then when I was very young, just to be clear on this. Um, yeah, I couldn't get up the steps where the the Mickey, I say the Mickey Mouse was dressed up because obviously now we're aware how it works. But right. as a four-year-old, it was frigging Mickey Mouse. You know, I wanted to go and say hi to him and all that. Um, and so I guess my mum or dad must have flagged his attention or her attention, whoever was in the seat, um, to come down and, and sort of say hi to me. But then at some point, as this big mouse descended down the steps to little three-year-old me in my wheelchair, I suddenly got freaked out that it was a bad mouse and that it thought I was cheese and that it was going to eat me and so I just cried and cried and so they the Mickey Mouse ended up running away as well <laughs> okay so but they, that, that wasn't when you were 16 just to clarify one more time yeah exactly it was, it was the younger age <laughs> okay so you had a number of experiences with your family traveling 
And then you went off to university in a separate town, that's right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, about sort of hour and a half away from home. Right. And so you said in the book that that was sort of quite uh, a defining time in your life in terms of uh, confidence. And um, can maybe elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, definitely there was two big moments for me that very much related to my disability. I don't know if I talk so much about the back operation. I'm sure I mentioned it in the book. Um, And so that was a very medical procedure where I had rods, titanium rods put in my back and it, I was like in hospital for a month and it took like a year or two probably to recover properly mm. so that that was a sort of sit there not feeling good but dream up the things I would want to do once I was well again right. and I, that, that definitely is part of you know defining moment for me and then the other ones you say was going to university um mum and dad had done all my care and so to leave home, strangers essentially had to do my care. And for anyone listening that isn't as you know aware of what that entails, and obviously every even people in a wheelchair have different needs, but right. for me that that does involve you know help in the shower and help going to the toilet. So it's a very intimate situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I remember being at arriving at university, and you know my dad's being the kind of rock of the family holding it all together and I was obviously nervous my mum was like crying as she was leaving the door leaving her her little boy who was by that point 19 but obviously you're always the little boy to your mum um and so she was worried and then the, the four carers that had been recruited by the university they'd never done care either because the way that it was set up was it was sort of like a voluntary scheme so people from all over the world wanted to come not not only to england but in this instance they'd want this particular group of people wanted to come to england and learn the language and all that kind of stuff and you know just see what england had to offer but while doing something a bit more worthwhile and social etc so the, the the carers were like my age they were, you know were sort of 19 20 um and they looked as scared as I was about what was going to happen so you can imagine it was a really big step and um, again yourself Josh you've you know you have carers and everything so you know the drill yeah um yeah yeah, that that was a big a big step and a a big thing to overcome but obviously it opened the world up to me because I was no longer relying on my mum and dad to help me go to bed and, you know, come home early from a pub or a nightclub. or right. So it really opened up the world to me as well. Okay. And so then you got a lot of confidence through uh, those experiences then, I assume. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so that sort of led into your first solo trip that you mentioned earlier and uh, going to Australia. And it was yeah. that after you graduated then? That was in, so I'd graduate from my economics degree and I was going to go back after the long summer to start my master's. So I was still at uni, but yeah, kind of in between. Okay. So um, now you're in Europe and there's lots of countries that are very nearby Europe. Um, and Australia is very far from Europe. Um, <laughs> is there any particular reason you chose to go as far away as you could? Yeah, pretty much that was the reason. <laughs> it was like, yeah, if I'm going to do this, this solo, inverted commas, solo trip with to care stuff then yeah let's do this properly and do the hardest 
possible one. I say the hardest possible one. I mean, there's still places in the world that are less developed economically, mm -hmm. that are therefore less accessible and therefore more difficult. Right. So it, it wasn't difficult in the sense that the people spoke English, the culture was very similar, um, and there was pretty good access. Um, but it was obviously difficult that it was the other side of the world. Yeah. So how did you plan for this? Um, it was your first time making the plans by yourself this time, right? That's right, yeah. And I, I think for this one, I did go down to the, I say the town I'm in is near to Cambridge, so it's like a small town of 20,000 people. And I went down to the um, tourist, not tourist office, the uh, the travel agency right. and spoke to the lady in there. And she was really, really cool as well. She really got what I needed. And that that's always a worry that you go to a non-specialist agency mm. and they act and they say the right things. But when it comes down to it, they really haven't got a clue right. the things that you need with a wheelchair, etc. Um, but this woman really, really got it. And so that was very helpful that she was able to then reach out to her contacts in Australia to find, you know, the hoist I needed to hire, the adapted hire car vehicle, um, which hotels were, you know, with accessible roll-in shower rooms and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so she, she was helpful. But equally, I still project managed it and I had mm. to save up the money. And I even managed to get my local the local government that funds the care to give some extra just okay. for the trip. And they said that it was under like a respite pot of money. Um, but they could see that, you know, this was a once in a lifetime opportunity for a sort of young student to, to go off for three weeks to Australia. Well, you um, fooled them then because it's not once in a lifetime, is it? <laughs> Well, yeah, that's the only. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it it was the yeah. only time they put the, some of the funding in for the carers. Well, yeah. more than what they normally put in for the yeah. carers, anyway. But yeah, but now that was cool. That yeah, they got behind something like that as mm. a sort of government local authority. That I mean, th this was two thousand and five, I think. And yeah, we obviously the crash that happened globally meant that particularly in England, we've seen that. Well, not particularly, but. I know from being in England that we've had a lot of cuts with funding. Mm. So I think it would be unlikely to happen where you get kind of extra for a holiday now right. for, for your carers, obviously. Um, but yeah, it was still cool that they they got behind it and supported it. Yeah, well, even if it wasn't a once-in-a-lifetime thing, I mean, it really highlights that taking a chance on somebody and um, helping them to achieve their dream can go on to help others by, you know, writing your book and your other experiences. So. You know, I think 100%. encouragement to all governments out there. So uh, please make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just take a moment to pause on that thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a message to all governments. So, um, well, you explained in your book about all the places you went, but um, one thing that really caught me, I think, was uh, a situation you had with your uh, assistants when you were in Australia. You can sort of mm -hmm. a rough idea of what happened. Um, and it's really something I think that gets brushed over when people talk about accessible travel. Um, you know, people just think about, you know, very physical things like, uh, you know, what's the hotel going to be like or what's the access going to be like. But there are certainly human elements of travel. If you maybe sort of talk about that and what you learned from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so basically the, the two carers that came with me, I knew them both 
one from my school days that she was um uh, like we, when I was at school they were called learning support assistants now in England we call them teaching assistants but essentially it's like the carers that you that we need as adults but just at school right um, but we did um you know PE and swimming and we went on some school trips so she supported me more than just in a classroom doing work it was still the physical care that I need mm-hmm. and then the other guy was one of my carers at university um so yeah he'd very much been quite much more recent had uh, been around and we still were hanging out a year or two after he'd moved on mm-hmm. uh, but they hadn't met each other so it was a bit of a you know I hadn't even thought about it before we went and I think they met maybe briefly but very briefly before we set off um and yeah they just didn't they just didn't gel or click or basically get on um and when I wrote this chapter actually in in the book I, I you know and even now I'm sort of the the two people involved there was that whole wariness of their privacy because they know that they were there and they know who they are but also others who know us sort of would know who they are too oh, so that oh. that it's not to say i can't talk about it right but it was just a kind of um an interesting one whether i should put it in the book is more my point right. that i really debated leaving it out for that reason but i felt that the the message was too strong to, mm. to leave it and the story was too strong to leave it and so yeah it, it caused difficulties you know that they were having this sort of they, they each felt that the other one wasn't doing enough of the work of the care um and so yeah there was a night where it all came to a bit of a climax and I actually met up with a friend of mine who I'd grown up with who happened to be out in Australia and we spent like a couple of days while he was there Mm -hmm. and he pulled them aside and had a bit of a chat with them and said you know look you're kind of ruining Martin's trip of a lifetime or as we said not in the end it wasn't a trip of a lifetime (laughs) um and I think that maybe helped to to smooth it over a bit. Right. But then the guy got really sick in Melbourne with like flu, oh. and so that was then pretty difficult as well. And so yeah, it was, it's just the reality that carers quite clearly aren't yet robots, <laughs> and they have feelings. And you know, they were a long way from home, and they got tired, and they got ill. And were not as able to support me in the way I needed. Yeah. And also, I was young and less able to to do the kind of employment, mm. you know, HR management type stuff that I've now learned more and more how to deal with as I've got older. Right. Well, yeah. When you have a disability and you have carers, and you sort of become the HR manager, don't you? Thrown yeah. in at the deep end, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a very important point. I think that everybody should read the book and uh, read about that in more detail. Um, okay, we're going to move on to the other side of the world with another A. Uh, we're going to the Americas, and um, and I guess the first one in the Americas, besides the the mouse incident, um, you said you went a number of times with your father as well. But um, we went to Mexico, and um, you weren't feeling very well. Uh, mm-hmm. You had health issues. Um, yeah. and, um, you know, that's another very real part of travel. Can you sort of explain some of the, the health issues you had and, uh, how that worked out with your trip? Yeah. So as I mentioned at the very beginning with, with my disability, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily more susceptible to colds. I think I get colds about 
the same amount that everyone does. Mm. But when I get a cold, I can't cough properly very right. well. So a, a normal common cold becomes a chest infection and it can become pneumonia and it's like weeks of, you know, chest physio and antibiotics and all that kind of stuff. And that this was more the story when I was younger, um, for the last five years and very much since I've been with my now fiance, Kasia, mm. she kind of whipped me into shape with my diet and taking <laughs> supplements. And I've actually, despite having colds, I've not had antibiotics for like five years now, which is oh, wow. pretty cool. Bit of a tangent to the story, but you know, we're, worth mentioning. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned that in the story that, that you said that travel is better than antibiotics. So yeah, yeah, and, and so that was the thing that I'd been very unwell prior to going to Mexico. Mm. Um, so I was on antibiotics, coughing lots, etc. Um, the downside was that we, so we were self, um, not self-catered all-inclusive so not only was the food covered but all of the the booze and the alcohol was all included and I so even though I was feeling better with the actual cold I wasn't really meant to drink because of the antibiotics um so yeah I think that the first point to make is that I felt really rotten I still went but the sun and the warmth and the whole being away and everything I felt a lot better quite quickly Mm. and then the the positive with the alcohol story we just touched upon was that the volcano erupted in Iceland meaning that we we had to then stay on longer in Mexico by three or four days at least and by which point I'd finished my antibiotics so we got like a four day extension to the holiday all paid for while we were waiting to be able to fly home when the volcano had, or the ash had gone or whatever happened. So, yeah, I was able to make the most of the uh, the all-inclusive booze and alcohol anyway. And also you being uh, in a wheelchair also paid off compared to some of your other companions, is that right? That's right. So we were all in a very nice hotel. And then when the problem happened, those that were being... Like all basically apart from me, everyone that was being paid for to stay by the tour operator had to go to the other hotel down the road, which wasn't awful, but it wasn't as luxury as the one we'd been in. But yeah, because of the wheelchair room, I had to stay where we were. Oh, so that was nice. definitely a, a plus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then your next trip, uh, you met up with uh, somebody that comes into your life a lot with uh, Shrin. And uh, you went to the States and you went all over, went to a number of places in the States, right? Yeah. So I think the first trip was the um, the road trip from uh, San Francisco to Vegas to LA, um, where we met Jack Black at the airport. I don't right. know if you've ever seen the video on my About page on my blog. Yeah, make but sure you visit his blog. Has actually done the video on my About page. It's awesome. So, yeah, that was cool. But, yeah, and then a year later, we went to New York with our other friend with SMA called Toby. Okay. So, there was sort of over that couple of years, we did the, the West Coast and then a bit of the East Coast. Okay. So, and you're in that, um, you mentioned about the challenges of packing equipment, and uh, that can be quite a challenge for people with disabilities as well, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's For me, I obviously need to take the wheelchair. Right. And then I... And sometimes when I'm away, I have rented or hired in 
equipment like a shower chair or a hoist mm-hmm. that the trouble um particularly if like on a road trip you're moving around so you then have to get different companies to do it and a big part of the uh, price is the delivery cost as well right. so it becomes quite prohibitive having the the rental solution so the other option is to have a travel hoist and have your own shower chair and take it with you now luckily the airlines are very good about taking that kind of equipment with no extra charge it's seen as like medical equipment or whatever so right. that's good um but nonetheless the, the particularly the hoist and the shower chair are rather large yeah. pieces of equipment um that the carer has to essentially drag around from you know the airport and, and back to the hotel and everything oh, yeah. and then beyond that i need to take i have like a knee pad that goes between my knees when i sleep so i don't get that sore between my knees so that goes i have the sling that is the, the sort of hammock thing that lifts me onto the hoist again i'm just clarifying for anyone that doesn't know yeah what yeah for sure like is a hoister. yeah um and so yeah that has to go in and then there's all sorts of other you know, bits and bobs that have to remember. <laughs> like I used to take the spare antibiotics just in case. Just in and case, yeah. Yeah, it was, and it was getting to the point where you're almost taking the kitchen sink of you. It's crazy. <laughs> but um, now, again, another plug for your book. There's a, um, a great scene in Las Vegas that includes um, a, a bar fight with, uh, with one of the helpers. But uh, they'll have to read the book to learn about that. Um, but I think a couple of things that came up uh, with your trip there with Trin, and I guess probably was the catalyst for starting Accommable, was sometimes you had troubles at hotels where, uh, you know, things weren't exactly as promised. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we got, I think it happened. San Francisco was all right from memory, but the Vegas and the LA hotels didn't have that. We, we booked wheelchair accessible rooms one each for both of us and we got there and on arrival that it wasn't suitable mm. um so in vegas there was another one of those bittersweet moments so where you'd arrived and you just want to go to your room and chill out and unpack and then mm. you have to have a not a fight fight but you know have a a discussion yeah. about um sorting it out but then the only suitable room they had was a vip suite so in the end, having not got the right kind of room, oh, I had this massive room with like, a, like the downside again was the hot tub wasn't accessible. Ah. Proper kind of bling bling, you know, <laughs> um, VIP room. So that that sort of offset itself in the end. But okay, but a good experience again, and you know, not always trusting what you've been told, and but being prepared yeah. to, uh, you know. Uh, work through things when you get there. So I guess that's an important skill to have as well. Yeah, definitely. And obviously it doesn't always end up with a VIP, big, large <laughs> right. suite. Like that, that's very, very, very unusual. <laughs> and yeah, and in LA, the, the result was that we just couldn't shower. Right. And we were there three or four days, so it wasn't crazy long. But still, you know, yeah. normally within three or four days, you'd want a couple of showers. Of course, yeah. And so absolutely, that, that really should not happen and that that is wrong but uh, there's definitely a lesson about almost being very with the research really just double triple checking things so ever since that i tend once i've used something like 
Um, I mean, a common ball's obviously been swallowed by Airbnb. Right. Uh, but whether it's Airbnb or Hotels.com, whatever it might be, is to really reach out to the the owner and triple check because yeah. it, it just has gone wrong too many times now. Well, and there's also such a you know variety of people with disabilities that you know what's successful for one person is not necessarily yeah. successful for somebody else. So. You know, whoever's making that, yeah, this is accessible. They might not know, you know, and, they, and that might just be different than your needs, right? So, so it's really important yeah, to get in touch with them. Okay, so we're going to take it back a little bit closer to your home then and to your European adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that really, I guess, uh, well, actually all of them, you have too many exciting stories. Um, <laughs> um, the thing with uh, EVS and uh, you went and lived in a different country for a while. Um, can you explain yeah. what EVS is? I hadn't heard about this before. So, Sure. Well, obviously, politically at the moment with Brexit, right. um, it's a European Union-funded project, so who knows what's going to happen in the future. Right. But um, right. EVS stands for European Voluntary Service, and the story starts where I was still at Scope or just about to leave Scope. I'd got some ideas of what I would do to earn money to, to you know to live off and survive and and basically not um, end up under a bridge after leaving the, the job at Scope. Um, but a big part of leaving was wanting to travel more. And so without an abundance of money to just be like, oh, I'm gonna go road trip around Europe now, you know. <laughs> um, I I subletted my place on Airbnb once this project came through. Right. Um, so my London flat, it was a great way of saving money by not having to, to pay for that while I was away. Mm-hmm. But I basically started looking for ways to go abroad, but with funding. And so the, the EVS scheme is where it was like 18 to 30 year olds, but not 18, 30 holidays in the kind of raunchy, right. debauched way. <laughs> um, and you do a bit. In fact, the, the, some of the carers that helped me at uni were via this same scheme. So then I then was looking for projects in Spain and my plan was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go away in the winter and Spain's warmer and, you know, I'll be able to get some good, healthy, warm sunshine. Mm. And so most of the projects in Spain were not suitable and not wheelchair accessible. Either the project was like picking things in a field, which I'm just not going to be able to do. That's right. an example. But basically the projects weren't suitable right. or the project was, but then the accommodation that they had for the volunteers wasn't suitable right. until one came up in the northwest of Spain. And it, it turned out the lady who was my like coordinator, my manager, her son, uh, sorry, her brother was disabled. So she was really like, you know, linked in and understood what what was needed mm. and she was phenomenal i mean she made sure that everything i needed went into the budget that then went to the european commission and so the deal is that they fund your flights there and back for the you know to get there and to come home after the project they fund your accommodation they fund like a food and drink sort of allowance so you're not earning a wage but you've got kind of like pocket money in a way. Right. Um, and so I taught English to the local uh, teenage kids that were part of this local sort of social club, really. It was a, a council run, a sort of local government run 
initiative. Right. I taught them English and um, I did employment workshops, like CV workshops as well. And I had my own radio show, which is really fun. Oh, really wow. cool. Yeah, yeah. So it was an amazing experience to actually be doing this social good project, right. but also to be learning Spanish and just to live in another country with a different culture as well. Mm. And so how long were you there for? So the first time was around two months. Okay. And then the second time, I, I basically, I loved it so much. I wanted to go back a year later and I went for a bit more than three months the second okay. time. So was it kind of different to be, you know, sometimes we go on vacations for a couple of weeks versus actually being there for a couple of months. Did you find that quite a bit different? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I say I lived there. I don't, I don't know when um, the definition of living somewhere <laughs> kicks in. Right. But for me, as you've just said, it was more than a two-week holiday. Um, and I remember after about a month there, not really knowing the language well enough to mm. really sort of, you know, be part of that culture and, and the conversations. And obviously, a lot of people spoke English, so I wasn't totally isolated. Right. But essentially, it was a very different world mm. from being home. And, you know, not being as close to friends and family, just to pop brown for a, a cup of tea. Obviously, you know, being right. English, cups of tea are very important. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it really was. And I, and I remember feeling quite homesick a couple of times. And I was 27, 28 at the time. Right. So I wasn't, like, just a teenager or a lot young. You know, I was, I was an adult. But right. I still remember feeling quite homesick as well. Hmm. Now, we're going to skip over the next one where you uh, are involved with going around on a, a road trip around Europe. And people will have to read that in the book. Um, okay. But I think that um, the interesting one is the Europe Without Borders work. I think that's sort of interesting how your experiences uh, from touring on your own sort of built up a portfolio for you to turn it, you know, into a job for a, a temporary job anyways. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that experience? Was it, is that the one where we did the five countries around Europe? Is that the yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I did a road trip, which I think might have been the one that you just sort of briefly skipped over where I crowdfunded it and I went with one carer. Um, so that was all self done. And then the Europe Without Barriers was, again, a European Commission project where a charity in Italy mm. had raised the, the funds to do the project. And it was very much highlighting the good of the places that we went to. Right. Uh, so, you know, I think... There are times where I go somewhere to help with making the environment more accessible or to train staff or to look at the the policies and, you know, the, the overall kind of organizational structure. And that's more about what's bad and mm -hmm. how to make it good. When other times I get invited where they've done that and they're proud of it right. and they want to get the message out. So really, that was, you could say, like a marketing initiative on their part to showcase and celebrate these five countries that were particular things were possible that were good. So we went to Italy, Slovenia, Croatia, Austria, and Germany in like 12 days or something ridiculous. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And they had a minibus with a driver, but we'd got the boat and lived, I say lived, we were in Barcelona for like a month. 
Okay. So we had our car, we as my fiance and I. Right. So that meant that we had to do the driving on the trip um, and benefit from the minibus and all that stuff. So really full on trip. But yeah, the the places that we saw were phenomenal, really beautiful. Mm, Okay. And so then that sort of leads to the next one where again, because of your uh, very particular set of skills, um, you were invited to come to my neck of the woods and you came to Mm -hmm. Japan back in 2014. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, and you were invited by the government, um, and you had a bit of a panic at the airport when you met the other people, as I, I remember correctly from the book, in terms of clothing. With the what, sorry? Clothing. Yeah, oh God, the suit incident. Yeah. I mean, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, it was. I, I, I think if I wasn't disabled, I would definitely be far more hippie, nomadic kind of. And I, I sort of am quite hippie nomadic but because of my disability Mm. I have to be really on it with planning and research and you know obviously we said like managing carers and all that kind of stuff you have to be really on the ball so but there is still that side of me where I don't kind of maybe give it the full attention and you know (laughs) just kind of we were getting ready and we're packing and made sure I got all the disability stuff um, but I don't really wear suits at all. I mean, I think I have got kind of one that I could pull out for weddings and funerals, but it's not very comfortable, and I, I just don't really wear them much. Um, and I just didn't think about it in Japan. And then, yeah, we, we got there, and there was the, the element about the, the ceremonies and the formalities, right. and that we're going to be at least one or two days of the project where it was proper suit attire, mm. uh, which I hadn't packed. <laughs> so I basically made do with, I had a smart pair of trousers, a white shirt, and a dark jumper. And I pretty much ended up wearing that the whole time in Japan. <laughs> so definitely, yeah, different culture and different expectations and stuff. Um, yeah. And so the, the purpose of the uh, the event was to sort of collaborate with the government about different uh, schemes in different countries. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I think the main initiative of the Japanese government was looking at their policies for older people, younger people and disabled people. Mm-hmm. And by bringing other young leaders, it was called a young leaders program right. from New Zealand, Denmark and the UK. Then there was a, a general benefit of knowledge and experience sharing, but it was very much funded by the Japanese government so that they could take away the the benefits to implement the the ideal sort of outcomes that were found for for their own policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really cool to be involved at that level of you know helping make or shape policy mm-hmm. um, in in a whole country, um, and it was, it was very interesting. There were differences between. New Zealand, Denmark, and the UK with some of the the healthcare, social care, inclusion to public life. Right. But I, I mean, Japan. Yeah, how long is it? Have you been living out there now? Uh, Eleven years now. Yeah. Eleven years. So you were there when I was there, right? Yeah. We bumped into each other on the I was street. Say. <laughs> and gave each other stink eye about who this other guy in the wheelchair is, <laughs> sort of stealing my limelight. You know. <laughs> this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so yeah, it would have been there at the same time. But yeah, you'll know that there are quite striking differences um, with how Japan is, particularly with disability. I mean, I, I don't know your views, but I found they were phenomenal with like getting on the metro. There was this guy with gloves that had, that picks the ramp up yeah. and bows to you. It was like really like wow, this is <laughs> full on customer service. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of felt that there was maybe a little bit more shame feels quite a strong word, but that that the view around disability was not as open and liberal as it might be in Europe or the States. I don't know what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, there's sort of definitely uh, different aspects are very good. And, you know, there's definitely good and bad. Yeah. You know, for example, um, you know, the, the service and getting on the train, the infrastructure is very good. But yeah. um, uh, yeah, I was talking with a friend, actually, who has a disability uh, is from Spain. And he was mentioning that, you know, he can get around by himself, but he uses a wheelchair. And it just sort of doesn't seem to compute in Japan that somebody in a wheelchair can go by themselves. And mm. a lot of times, you know, people who are go very much by the book, you know, like they, they get a bit nervous when there's somebody who isn't with a helper or attendant. Yeah. And then they're like, well, what if something happens? And sorry, you can only do that if you're with their, your attendant, you know, right. um, just, you know, the idea, different ideas of um, what, you know, living with a disability means. So, um, mm. yeah, so there's definitely ups and downs and good and bad stuff, but. Yeah, we we went to see a couple of um, the the people that were there more around disability. We then went to Hiroshima as well, and we then got to see various schools and care homes and sheltered workplaces. and And I generally shudder when I see disabled people that are not included in society. Mm. But actually, it goes on in England still, so it wasn't. A Japanese thing right, right. you know I think that there are parts of every country where there is still an element of that being yeah. away from the mainstream yeah, um, sure. and that's that's some of the work we still have left to do I suppose for sure. we got lots of, you have to come back again I guess um, <laughs> and again okay we're just going to go into some more teasers for everybody to get your book um, and some of the things you've done besides traveling to other countries or I guess they have involved traveling to other countries but uh, adventure moments for example um hot air ballooning and uh uh piloting an airplane um mm-hmm. as well as uh is it sorry abseiling is that how you say it the yeah abseiling yeah abseiling okay and i wasn't quite sure what that was but i looked up some pictures and i saw martin uh tied to some ropes being hauled up <laughs> uh, uh into the up into the woods so you'll have to read about that in his book um and uh, so martin how can people get your book sure so um it's on amazon Okay. Um, and, and Audible. I did a. I sat there for a day doing the recording of of the audio version as well. Oh, um, so yeah, on Amazon or, or Audible. Okay. Um, and we're just going to sort of go into a closing lightning round, uh, and I'm going to ask your top three places on your personal bucket list of places you'd like to visit. Okay. So at the moment, um, Hawaii's definitely there. I'd love to see Hawaii. India's been on the list for quite a while. As we referred to earlier, there's that element of more involved in making sure that it's... I know I know it's doable now, yeah. but yeah, it's obviously a bit more involved um, to make sure it works well. So that's one. Um, and what's the other one I was thinking of? There was something the other day that I was um, pondering. 
but yeah, I think um, Hawaii, India, and Dubai is somewhere that I'd like to see as well. Okay, so those are good goals. Um, okay, and you mentioned in your book a lot of times. Actually, as like, oh wow, uh, you really like your music. So um, <laughs> uh, we have a, a playlist on Spotify for um, people who have shown up on the the podcast. So can you mm-hmm. maybe? List uh, three songs that you like to listen to when you're traveling or just uh, when you're thinking about going traveling. Yeah, one is definitely Jack Johnson. Um, so it's more of an artist, I suppose, but um, better together if I was pushed for one song. Right. But yeah, definitely anything by Jack Johnson. Um, Kings of Leon, yeah. L- Lose Somebody, um, and Nelly, Ride With Me. Okay, well, that's a good list. Um, okay, great. Um, so just in closing then, how can people get in touch with you? How can they follow you? You're, uh, uh, I mean, you're hard to miss on the internet, but, um, just to sum up some of the ways they can follow you. Yeah, well, I'm on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. So people can get hold of me there. Just my name, Martin with a Y and then Sibley, S-I-B-L-E-Y. Um, my blog is martinsibley.com. Um, and those that are more interested in disability, and accessible travel as well, then Disability Horizons is a great place for sort of sharing knowledge and experiences. All right, sounds good. I will put links to uh, all those places as well in the show notes and on the website. So thank you very much, sir. And uh, you have a lovely day and we'll be in touch, I'm sure. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Josh. All right, thank you. I really enjoyed that conversation, and I hope that you did too. I encourage you to check out Martin's website, martinsibley.com, and find him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And you can pick up his book, Everything is Possible, on Amazon. You can also find Martin on the Accessible Travel Forum, and you too can join the Accessible Travel Forum, www.accessibletravelforum.com. The more users we have, the more useful the site will become. Be sure to ask questions and share your knowledge. You can also follow us on Twitter with the handle AccessibleTF. That's at AccessibleTF. Please subscribe to this podcast and share it with friends. Also, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Is there somebody that you think we should be interviewing? Do you want to be interviewed? If so, then please contact us at podcast at AccessibleTravelForum.com. That's podcast at AccessibleTravelForum.com. Keep enjoying your travels. Hopefully we'll bump into each other along the way. Until next time, I'm Josh and this is Have Disability, Will Travel. <laughs>